We're going to be in the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning. We're going to have a little bit of fun this morning. If you know what's coming in 1 Peter chapter 3, you know I'm lying. We're going to have fun, not because it's Halloween. I, you know, honestly, I know plenty of preachers and, and frankly plenty of hearers that would uh, put today's text that we're going to cover up there with some of the most terrifying scriptures, uh, terrifying pieces of, uh, of all scripture. Um, I told you last week, y'all weren't ready for what Peter was about to uh, lay out about submitting to the government and submitting to authorities. Uh, that was last week. This week, we're going to take it to a whole new level. Uh, we got more that we're going to talk about. I, I'm not going to lie. You, you know what I feel like as a pastor right now? I, this is what I feel like right now. I feel like Wiley e. Coyote getting ready to, uh, to uh, ignite the TNT. Uh, and I, I feel, I, I'm almost certain that I'm probably going to look like, uh, look like the, the after. That's probably going to be me here in about 45 minutes. I fully expect that that's where we're going to go and that's what's going to happen. Uh, but uh, in, in all honesty, all I want to do is walk through Peter's instructions and allow the Holy Spirit to apply it wherever he wants. And at that point, it's between you and him. So uh, I just want to want to put that out there. So if you're, uh, n- if you're new or you've missed last week and uh, you might be wondering what in the world I'm talking about, why is he, why is he introducing things like this? We're in chapter uh, 3 this morning. We're right in the thick of instruction uh, from Peter for Christians uh, that he is writing to all throughout the region around him, all throughout the Roman Empire, and uh, he's writing to these kind of new, uh, growing churches. Most of them, almost all of them would have been house churches. Almost all of them would have been relatively uh, small. But he's, he's writing as an apostle to say, this is how you live within exile. You are in exile in this Roman culture. It is not uh, your home. And here is how you live. And he's laid out this theology in the first couple of chapters that uh, explains their identity in Christ, it explains what Christ has done for them, and explains their unity that they have in Christ uh, and through the gospel, how they are uh, built into a spiritual house is what he says. And now uh, he brings them uh, all together and he says, now despite your society, despite your background, you guys are one and you are unified. And now I want to give you some instructions about what that looks like as you try to live within this culture. And so last week we launched in kind of a new section uh, of this letter where he he starts to take this theology and really uh, apply it. It's the outworking of the gospel. It's the practical ways that you live. And when he lays it out, it's not some kind of victory march that you might anticipate whenever we start talking about the gospel. Peter is not saying now that uh, Christ has risen, you have this uh, this victory march that you can take throughout culture and you can kind of lay it to him and say, because Christ has risen, I'm going to live this way and kind of kind of be in people's face. That's not what Peter does. He doesn't give us a manifesto of how to fight the government or how to protect yourself from your ungodly neighbors. In fact, this section uh, is, is going to focus on really one primary thing. Letting go of your demands letting go of the things that you think you are owed, and instead submitting to those who have either authority or at minimum societal standing over you. Even when those people are bad, this is how you submit in a way that is godly. Now for somebody who has victory in Christ, that doesn't sound much like a victory cry. We have victory, now you submit. That's not, uh, that's not what you would expect, but it's really what Peter does. And this is a recipe for making all of us very uncomfortable. 
Last week we were made a little bit uncomfortable. We're going to focus on one more today, and then next week we're going to uh, look at a third thing that Peter addresses uh, in, in this uh, idea of submission. Uh, and all of them are going to make us uncomfortable on some level. And then next week we'll put it all together and kind of, kind of see, see what that means for us uh, now. So let's read the text and see what Peter has for us this morning, and maybe you'll have a better understanding for why I feel like uh, Wiley Coyote right now. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure, and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold and jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden, the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's it for this morning. And oh my goodness. You can't read that without kind of going, are you for real right now, Peter? Like, seriously? Uh, you know, I've been studying for this, and, and, and I knew going into First Peter, I meet with a group of pastors once a month, and we usually end up talking about what we're preaching through, and I, and I told them this is what I had coming up over the next few weeks, and they kind of jokingly, but kind of seriously, were like, Do you, did you not know what was in First Peter before you decided to preach this book? Um, I, I did. Uh, and in fact, we've decided to start applying some of this stuff uh, in my house, and so Emily has begun calling me Lord. Um, she's not in here. That's the only reason that I can say that. Uh, but uh, no, seriously, so there's, there's a lot here. I mean, you can't read it without it. Like, this isn't even like the elephant in the room. This is like, okay, it's here. We're going to have to talk about it. So we're going to. We're going to walk through this. Why would Peter say the things that he says here? Why would Peter talk about these things? What are we to make of something uh, like this? Uh, do we just look at Peter's teachings and say, this is ridiculous? There's no reason that we should have to listen to any of this. Peter is so far off base. This is so, so far removed from our context that there's really no need for us to listen to this. And after all, Peter's got to be completely out of touch with a Western-educated, sophisticated mindset. He is nothing more than a, a Jewish fisherman. Emphasis on man there at the end of that. So why should we have to listen to anything that Peter has to say here? This was 2,000 years ago, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense that we would bother with this. Haven't we evolved or advanced past this? Those are all very fair questions, and it's tempting to take that approach, but we do so at our own peril. As I've studied and worked through Peter's teaching, I think we do so frankly, very unnecessarily. Uh, if we start really looking at what Peter is trying to teach here, I think he's teaching a valuable lesson for all of us, men and women uh, alike. And I'm, gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you Peter doesn't say submit. He does. So I'm not going to like try to redefine that word to where it kind of softens the blow a little bit. He does. But I am going to tell you there's as much here for men as there is for women, and Peter's instructions will sting for all of us. I'm not going to try to take the sting out of what he says. I didn't try to take the sting out of it last week. What Peter calls us to do to submit 
goes against everything that is within us, especially in our Western kind of individualistic context. And I'm not going to try to soften, soften any of that either. But I do want you to see the context in which he gives it. And I think you will be, uh, I don't know if surprised is the right word, but I, I certainly think that we will all have some things to take away from this. So let's dig in and get to work. And we'll start by looking in verse 1. And the very first word of verse 1 sets us up. Uh, we'll see it in verse 1. We'll see it again in verse 7. It's the word likewise. It means exactly what you think it, what it, what you think it means. It means like the thing we just looked at, this is like that and works in the same way. So if we're going to be good Bible students, we need to say, okay, what did we just look at? What did we just cover before that? Uh, so, so what is Peter linking together when he uses the word likewise? What is it that he's drawing from that he's just given instructions about? Well, from last week, the, uh, the teaching that we saw last week, he, he talks about submission to the government. That's a few verses uh, back before this. Uh, there's teaching in there about submission to masters, talking about slaves and masters. And man, that's a whole nother can of worms we'll talk about next week just a little bit. Uh, so, so, so that's in there. Um, and, and I think that all that ties to this likewise here, but I don't think it's the primary thing that Peter is drawing from. The verses immediately preceding uh, chapter 3, verse 1, are a pretty thorough explanation of what Christ has done on our behalf. So let's read them. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. And I think that that's where we're, right where we're going to go to the likewise. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued, in, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And then Peter says, likewise. So he's tying it right back to this. And I think verse 21 is really the, uh, what he's, he's referring back to and connecting. And he lays it out. Christ suffered for you, leaving an example. Likewise, do this this way. This is where I think he's drawing from. He's telling the wives as he writes to these churches, you have an example in Jesus. Now let me, let me tell you how this plays out for you if you live out your life the way Jesus lived out his. That's really what this whole section is about. Many would, uh, much of this is, is addressing what we would call the, the household codes. This would be uh, normal language to talk about within uh, this, this culture, this society at the time. Uh, it's the same thing Paul addresses whenever he uses much of the same uh, language in Ephesians 5 and in other areas. He's picking up on how society worked within households at the time. Slaves and masters, husbands and wives, elsewhere it's children and parents. It's, it's how does a household work together? So what Peter is going to lay out is simply a way for women to work within a framework of how things functioned in that culture. All right? So what Peter's trying to do is he's trying to say, the typical household works in this way. Here's how you now function within that household. The same way that he did whenever he addressed our relationship to government. 
He says it may be a bad emperor, but here's how you work within that framework. You don't overthrow the emperor. In fact, you honor the emperor. And you live in, in, in a way to where you honor all. And so he goes on to talk about not... So, so, so when Peter decides to address, and I think this is very, very telling for us this morning. I think it, it really kind of opens this text to help us look at it just a little bit differently. Because the typical way we would do this is we would read this, wives, submit to your husband. Now, let me tell you how this works for you and your house. Women, you submit to men, and women, you submit to your husband. And we assume that Peter is talking about every household. We assume that Peter is talking about not just every household. He's talking about a household that looks just like yours and just like mine. But he's not. He's talking to the way a household looked and functioned within that culture at that time. So he goes on not to talk about the ideal nuclear family uh, and what the perfect Jesus-loving family with 2.4 kids, a dog, and a mortgage would look like. That's not, what he, that's not what he's going to do. Now, it would be easy for him to do this. And think about how easy this would be. I think it's instructive for us that he talks specifically to a wife about how to live with an unbelieving husband, with someone who has not decided to follow Christ. He doesn't say, women, here's how it works. He says, women, in this situation, here's how you live. It's very specific instruction that he gives. He gives an example that the women hearing this would really be able to relate to. How do you live as an exile when you're an exile in your own family? You see, when Christianity began making converts and spreading throughout the Roman Empire, it was making inroads with, uh, n- not with the, the popular, not with the wealthy, not with the educated, not with the powerful, the people that were hearing the gospel, putting their faith in Jesus and were, uh, were coming to Christ were the uneducated, the slaves, the poor, the powerless, those that had suffered injustice, those that had to live in oppression. Those were the ones that followed Jesus. There are few exceptions, but it's really not until uh, centuries later that you start seeing the powerful people start following Jesus, that you start seeing the wealthy people start following Jesus. At this time, those that were following Jesus would have been almost exclusively poor slaves and those with no power in society. And that's who he's writing to. That's why we saw the instructions last week about submitting to the government. And women would have fit squarely within that. It would have fit squarely within that category. Completely powerless in this society. The standing of a woman was tied almost entirely to her husband. In fact, the the wife would have been so identified with her husband that her, her identity would have been almost absorbed in him. Not to where they stand side by side, but instead to where she stands behind him, almost disappearing behind him, figuratively speaking. And that would include in her religion. The idea that a wife would have a different religion than her husband was almost completely unheard of. The wife would have been commanded, it would have been unquestioned that she would have simply uh, adopted whatever religion her husband had. Every aspect, aspect of who she was would have been defined by her husband. So when Peter writes this text, 
he is speaking about a massive tension that these women are trying to figure out how to navigate. Namely, how can I be a wife to this man and a Christian at the same time? A massively hard question. And tied up in that would be identity, would be violence, would be danger, would be her commitment to Christ. All of that would be in there. She would have to ask questions. Should I walk away from my husband? Must I walk away from my husband? Because from her perspective, what she sees sees is, I either follow him and adopt his religion, or I have to walk away and follow Jesus instead. And she's got to be asking the question, how do I live out both? Or is it even possible for me to live out both? And Peter tells these wives, look to Jesus and follow his example. What did he do? He submitted where he had to, and when he suffered, he made sure it was because he was doing good. Not bringing it on himself, he simply endured and trusted the results to God. Likewise, women, you too are to maintain this approach. Quiet and gentle spirit in the way that you approach your husband. Follow Jesus. Don't renounce Jesus. But also don't become somebody who is belligerent to your husband saying, you've got to follow Jesus. Because Peter knows if a wife goes to the husband and says, you've got to follow Jesus the same way that I have, that that is not going to end well for her. She's probably going to be beaten. She might be put away or divorced. She might even be killed. And the husband would have, had, would have been perfectly within his Roman rights to do any of those things. So Peter says, don't, don't do that because it's not going to go well for you. Instead, live in such a way where you can win him over, but not because you are nagging him or pushing him or pressing him, but instead because he's observing the way that you live and he's observing what is in your heart, what is going on inside of you more so than anything else. And now, we need to stop here for just a second and address some problems that come from this text. Not so much what arises from the text with a careful reading, but what arises from this text with a very, uh, a, a very quick and very uh, incorrect reading of what Peter says here, says here. Because some have taken this to mean that women should endure abuse as submissive women, uh, that if they can just endure enough, if they can just be like Jesus enough, if they can just take enough abuse quietly enough, then perhaps the way that they take abuse could win their husband to Jesus. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Nowhere in Scripture, women, are you called to endure abuse. If you are in a marriage and this is being used in this way, I want to say this as clearly as I can this morning. If you are being abused by your husband, run away from that marriage as fast as you can. Run away from that situation. Get help, get counseling, get the police, and get out. We as a church will rally around and we will help you and we will support you and we will make sure that we are there with you for those things. This, does not, this scripture does not call you to submit to abuse. It absolutely does not. 
Now, I'm not saying that, that it immediately means the marriage has to be over or anything else. There's a thousand other things that come into play with this. But I'm just talking like immediate response. Get out of that. And do not believe the lie that says men have license to abuse their wives and they just need to shut their mouth and take it. It is straight from hell. And men, if you use this text to justify abuse of any kind or in any way, and I'm not just talking about physical, I'm talking about verbally, spiritually, whatever. If you use this verse, you are doing work that comes straight from the devil. And you need to repent now. So what is it that Peter is calling these women to do? What is it that Peter is asking of them? He wants to make two things very clear. Don't just walk away from your husband and don't walk away from Jesus. Maintain both of those. And the second point may seem obvious to us. Of course, Peter doesn't call women to walk away from Jesus. But for a woman to take a religion other than her husband's was unheard of. It would have been a very fair question. And Peter's teaching to not walk away from Jesus, even though the husband wasn't a believer, you want to talk about flying in the face of culture. It totally does. It would have been an unexpected response from Peter to say this, but he says it. Don't walk away from Jesus. Peter wants to, contrary to popular teaching about, uh, about women in the Bible, he wants to empower these women to make their own choice and who they follow as Lord. The society would frown on this, but Peter doesn't say walk away from Jesus. Instead, he wants to give them a strategy to try and win their husbands over to this faith that they have taken. Peter knows that if he tells them that they must walk away from their husbands that they must, or that they must try and force conversion upon their husbands, then these women are at best destitute and alone, if not completely dead. So he tells them, save your life, but maintain your commitment to Jesus. He tells them to submit or be subject to their husbands. Not only that, that they are to highlight where the priorities lay for them. And he gives them this evangelistic strategy. He says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold and jewelry, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. The point that Peter's making here, he's not trying to say, don't ever braid your hair. He's not trying to say, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't uh, you know, ever wear jewelry or anything like that. The point that he's trying to say is don't flaunt yourself in the way that you would have when you won your husband in the first place, but live differently, interact with him differently and do so in a way that doesn't threaten his position over you. And you say, does that mean that husbands are to have this position over their wives today? That they are to be over them I don't think that's what Peter's saying here at all. Now, there's a long conversation that we can have about the, 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 the dynamic that's at play here and what's going on here, but I just don't think that's what he has in view here. 
I think what Peter has in view is the reality of the situation as it exists for these women at the moment. The same way that I don't think that, he's, uh, that he is um, uh, implying or trying to uh, give any kind of a, a endorsement to slavery in these other texts. Again, we'll talk about that next week. I don't think he's saying, men, you are right to stand over your wives here. I think he's just saying this is the reality of how marriage looks in this culture. And here's what you've got to do to make it. Here's what you've got to do to work through it. I think the point that he's making just goes right along with all the other societal structures that he's talking about in this section. There are power imbalances and there are injustices all over the place. You've got to figure out how to work within those things. Ladies, this is how you do it. Wives, this is how you can do it. Here is a way forward. Even whenever Peter brings up this stuff about about Abraham and about Sarah, and I tell you what, I've read so many commentaries over the past uh, few weeks trying to figure out what in the world is this talking about? Whenever it says that, that, she, called him, that she called him Lord. Uh, I mean, it just sounds so absurd for us to even, even hear it. Like, does that mean that you're supposed to like, call your husband Sir or, or Lord or whatever now? Like, it's, it sounds ridiculous. But, but the best I can figure whenever I try to lay this out, because here's the thing. We don't have any real evidence where Sarah actually followed this exactly. If you go back to the Old Testament and you try to, you try to figure out how she addressed Abraham and the, the dynamics of their relationship, and man, I wish we had time to really spend a lot of time there, uh, but, but we don't, then I, you, you don't find this thing. You, you find often where Sarah won't do exactly what Abraham says to do, where Sarah says, no, 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 wait a minute, let's think about it this way. And you have other times where Sarah does do what Abraham has to do, or says to do, especially when he has a terrible idea. Whenever he, he, he leads her to, to pretend that she's his sister because he's scared. So like, it's a mixed bag whenever you read about the relationship between Sarah and Abraham and calling him Lord and all this kind of stuff. I think what Peter is trying to get at here, I think what he's trying to say is, this is the demeanor that you can find whenever you read through and whenever you look back on these women. They generally cared for and, and respected and honored their husbands. This is the same type of language that we just saw about honoring the emperor and honoring all. It's the same type of thing. Honor your husbands. Peter is telling them to be wise and respectful in how they handle themselves if they want to both live and follow Jesus at the same time. I'm convinced this is what Peter is doing because Peter keeps going. Here's the thing. He doesn't stop at verse 6. He keeps going. Verse 7, he says, likewise. There's that word again. So likewise, the same way that the women show honor to their husbands, the wives show honor to their husbands, likewise, husbands. So what you've just, this lesson you've just learned, based on the example of Christ, based on how wives are to live with their husbands and showing them honor, men, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not 
be hindered. So that word likewise carries weight with it again. Man, in the same way that your wife is showing honor, you would do well to do the same. Not only that, you would do well to recognize her inferior position that she holds when you do. This phrase, weaker vessel here, is one that's kind of interesting and one that, 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 that people get offended about all, all the time. There's two potential meanings here for this, and I really don't think that there's... There's all kinds of stuff thrown out there about this, but I really think it comes down to... It's talking about one of two things. One, Peter is talking about physical weakness. This is probably how you have heard this taught in your uh, lifetime. It's how I've heard it taught my whole life, that, 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 that Peter is talking about a physical weakness. Here's the thing. Women are only physically weaker if we define that by certain categories. Like, I can out-bench press Emily, but she can run a whole lot. She has run a marathon. She has given birth to two kids. She has uh, defeated and, and, and fought against a uh, disease that, that was destroying her body, did not miss a day of work, and has fought herself back to health. She wins. She is not the weaker vessel in this relationship if you define it by those terms, right? I can squat more, I can bench press more, I can throw a baseball further, but I'm not going to run a marathon, and I'm sure not giving birth to any kids. So, like, it just depends on how you define these things. Women, I think you're right to scoff whenever you say weaker vessel. You know, weaker vessel can get your epidural. Like, I, I think... I think you're right to scoff at that, right? I think what Peter has in mind here, and I mean, maybe he is talking about physical. I mean, we can all acknowledge that if we want to talk about physical strength, that generally a man is going to be stronger when it comes to muscle mass. But I don't think that's what Peter has in mind here because he hasn't talked about it at all in this passage. What has he talked about? He's talked about societal standing in the midst of unequal and unjust structures. I think that's what he's talking about here. The women have a weaker position as wife within this society's understanding of how marriage works. I think this is simply descriptive. Not prescriptive, saying this is how it should be. I think he's saying this is just the reality. Women, you don't have the same standing that your husband does. You can get mad about that if you want, but it's true. You don't. So, men recognize this and don't hold it over them. Don't use it against them because you have all the legal right to do that, but don't use it against them. Instead, recognize who you are in Christ. And who does it say that they are? They are co-heirs in Christ. So don't treat your wife as though she is some inferior but instead treat her for what she is, a co-heir in Christ, unified with you in this spiritual house that is being built called the church. Peter says, live with her in an understanding way, realizing that just because society says she is in this position, you are not to treat her this way. Recognize the challenges, challenges she faces. Care for her in a way that eliminates these societal injustices as best you can and treat her for what she is. 
And that is what you are called to do. So where does this leave us today? Don't get me wrong. There's a bigger question to be had to go to Paul's teaching, but I'm not trying to do a whole series on marriage or the family or the dynamic of how all that works together. There's a lot to be talking about, uh, to talk about, about the men and women and their roles and all that kind of stuff. But I I think I, I just want to stick with what Peter is trying to give us here. What are the takeaways here? I could list like four things this and six ways to a better marriage and and four ways to a happy home, and all this kind of stuff. I could lay all that out, but I think, I think we, would, we would just miss out on what, what Peter is really wanting us to take away from this. One thing I think is that we need to, we need to kind of recalibrate as Christians the way we approach this conversation. For too long, these verses have been used as a club to destroy women. Whatever you think of how this plays out. And I think there's room for Christians to kind of work this out in different ways. But whatever you think of how this plays out in your marriage and in your home, we can't use this as a weapon to wield against women. And shame on us for doing so. We have to be better here. We do women a tremendous disservice when we reduce their existence to who and how to who and how they submit to someone. Regardless of where you land on what you think Peter is saying here, we've got to stop defining women by how they relate to men. That is not what Peter's doing here. He's not saying, women, this is how your existence should look. He's saying, women, this is how you follow Christ. And men, you treat her as someone who is a co-heir with you following Christ. Men, I think we have to do a better job of understanding what women are up against. I think we just have to do a better job of understanding what it is that they are dealing with. Whether whether she's a stay-at-home mom or a job outside the home is irrelevant to this conversation. The reality is that certain things are assumed and certain things are expected simply because a woman is a woman. We would do well to live in an understanding manner, like Peter says, especially with our own wives. Husbands, do the work to understand and to know your wife. Know what makes her tick. Know what makes her happy. Know what struggles she sees. Know what makes her feel empowered. Know what makes her feel cared for. Men, know your wives. I think the biggest takeaway from this text is the way that Peter talks about the role of a wife and the role of a husband. What he talks about is what their responsibility is to the other. Do you see that? Like, what he talks about is not, this is who you are, wife, this is who you are, man, now go and be this. What he says is, wife, you have a responsibility in the way that you interact with your husband. Husband, you have a responsibility in the way you interact with your wife. You have both been given a responsibility that sees that you are looking to the other one. 
It's abundantly clear that Peter wants husbands to pursue their relationship with their wives in a way that is good for her. And Peter wants wives to pursue their relationship with their husband in a way that is good for him. That is the end goal. So let me ask you, husbands and wives, how do you approach your marriage? Do you approach your marriage as if the other's growth and flourishing is what motivates you in your relationship? Or do you approach your marriage in the way that the vast majority of the world approaches every relationship, which is what can I get out of it? What's in it for me? That's just not in Peter's like, realm of conversation here. Nowhere does that question enter into Peter's thinking. What's in it for me? He is not telling men, men, you are in control. Look at your wife of what you can get from her. It's just not in there. But somehow that's what this text has come to mean for so many men, for so many years within the Christian faith. Peter says, no, 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 no. That's not how you approach this relationship at all. You approach this relationship as co-heirs asking, how can I help you grow in Christ more? How can you be more like Christ? How can I be more like Christ? And how can we do this together? How do you honor one another? How do you talk about your spouse with others? Are you constantly looking to honor them and care for them? Or are you you throwing out jabs and cutting jokes? As a pastor, let me tell you the quickest way for me to identify where a marriage is at. Spend a little bit of time around them and how how do they talk about each other? When the other one is around and when the other one is not. I can find out real quick what that marriage is probably like whenever nobody else is around. By whether or not they honor one another simply as Peter has asked them to here. Do you honor your spouse with your speech? Do you honor your spouse when you're together in the way that you talk to one another? Listen, this is hard for me. Let me tell you why this is hard for me. Not because Emily is not worthy of honor. She is eminently worthy of honor. This is hard for me because the way that I grew up and the way that we talk to one another within my family is we jab. Man, we just poke jabs. That's what we do. It's fun. We laugh. It's taken me a long time to try and break that habit to realize that doesn't work real well in a marriage. I've got to pay attention to the same thing in the way I interact with my kids. Man, I've got to do a better job at this kind of stuff. Because I know in my head, like, tremendous honor for all three of them. For Abby, for Isaiah, and for Emily. But I don't always do a real good job of saying that in the way that I talk about them, and specifically the way I talk to them. I've got to do a better job at that kind of stuff. Simply following what Peter says here. Show honor. Live in an understanding way. Lift them up. Support them. Make sure they know that you are their biggest fan. That's a whole lot better way to apply what Peter says here than, woman, call me Lord and go cook me something. Because that's not what Peter says. 
It's just not what he's trying to do. And shame on us for ever making this text about, about that. And, and listen, I think some of you need to be praying the prayer that you need to change the way that you think. Not just watching your mouth, but watching the way that you think. So the way that you fundamentally view your spouse, and I'll even broaden this out to men and women in general. The way that you view men or the way that you view women is not primarily in, through a certain lens. Whether that be a lens of superiority, a, a, a lens of sexuality, any of those things, but instead you see one another, your husband or your wife, men or women, you see that through a, through a, a framework of honor. And if you can change that mental framework what, what comes out of your mouth will be a whole lot easier to change. And I think that's what Peter wants us to do. I think it, it would do us well if we were to pray every day, God, help me to see the best of my wife today, and God, blind me to the faults. How much would that change your marriage if that's what you prayed every day? If before, before your wife walked in the door, before your husband walked in the door, you said, I don't know what's about to happen right now in this conversation, especially because I'm really in a bad mood. But God, help me to see the good things and to show honor and blind me to the faults. I wonder if that wouldn't completely change a lot of marriages. I, I know it would change the witness of Christians to this, this culture. I think Peter thought it would change the witness of Christians to that culture because that's his evangelistic strategy. I know it would change the witness of Christians in this culture. So does God call us to submit? He does. In different ways at different times. Does it sting when he calls us to that? Usually it does. Yeah. But you know what? So be it. That is the pathway to godliness that he has laid out for us. And if we were to be like Christ, that is the pathway that we must follow. And you want to know what the greatest joy in life is? It's when you die to yourself and you see yourself becoming free of what this culture has put on you, free of sin, and becoming more like Christ. And do you want to know what the second greatest joy is? When those that you love the most, when you can see those do the same thing. And you can walk with them in that joy. So this morning, you see the elements are out here to take the Lord's Supper. On this October 31st, Halloween, Reformation Sunday, whatever you want to call it. We take the Lord's Supper and we push back against the darkness. We push back against the darkness that is found even in our own hearts and the way that we deal with one another. We push back against the darkness in our own hearts that says, I will not submit. I will not give in. I will not lay my life down. But instead, I will see what I can get. I will maximize what I can get. And then I will apply that to my life and you will be expected to follow. We lay all that down. And we say we want to be like Christ. 
who when he was reviled did not revile back. Who submitted to death, even death on a cross. And who by his wounds we are healed. You want to know how the gospel works itself out in your marriage? That's it right there. Lay your life down. Show honor. Care and love one another in the way that Christ has loved us. So I'm going to pray. The table will be open. The table is open only for those that are actively following Christ. If that is not you, we just ask that you would be seated. Remain seated. Uh, there will be others that will be seated as well, so don't feel like you're going to be singled out. You won't be. It's for those that are following Christ and for those that have, that have come to Christ and said, I lay it all down, and my, my first submission, my chief submission is to you, Jesus. And I lay my life at the cross. Give it to you and say, do what you will. I'll follow you. If that's not you, I'd love to be able to pray with you to be able to talk a little bit more about what that would look like. But if that is you, then I invite you to take the elements at the table after we pray. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we work through this text, help us not to um, excuse it away, but instead help us to fully submit to it. Help us to fully submit to it in a way that honors you first. Father, I do pray for the men and women in here, for the husbands and wives that are in here, for those that are fighting, for those that are struggling, for those that are dealing with with all kinds of different things. Father, I pray that maybe today would be a a spark of healing just to, to realize what it is that you have called them to. Father, I thank you for the example of Christ that we can follow. who followed all the way to the cross, who went willingly to the cross to lay his life down on our behalf. Father, I pray that you will send the Spirit and the Spirit will work in our hearts today. Apply this truth as he wills and that we would be your obedient servants. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Table is open.